I'm Jeannie Phillips and welcome to Vermont Ed Reads. We are here to talk books for educators, by educators, and with educators. Today I'm with Lindsay Stoddard and we'll be talking about her book, Brave Like That. Thank you so much for joining me, Lindsay. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here to chat with you about Brave Like That. Uh, I'm Lindsay Stoddard. I was born and raised in Vermont and then spent 12 years uh, living and teaching in Washington Heights, New York City, and have since returned with my young family back to Vermont, um, which, feels, which feels really wonderful to be here. Um, I have a, a three-year-old and a four-year-old, so I'm very much a, a full-time mom, um, but I'm also a middle grade author. And Brave Like That was my third middle grade novel, and the fourth one comes out in May. So that's exciting too. Congratulations. Can you just name for us your other two books and your forthcoming book? Sure. Yeah. My first book was called Just Like Jackie. And the second one is Right as Rain. And the next one that's coming out in May is called B is for Blended. Ooh, beautiful. So um, were both of your previous books on the middle grades, um, the Vermont middle grades book award list? What's now the first one was Just Like Jackie was. Yes. I thought it was. Excellent. Thank you so much uh, for joining us to talk about this book, which I loved. Mm -hmm. But before we get to that, um, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand table? Or maybe what are you reading to your two beautiful young children? (laughs) You know, I just finished, um, I just finished last night. It's amazing. All 13 by Christina Suntornvat. It's the, it's the true account of the Thai boys soccer team rescue from, from a flooded cave in Thailand. And it is riveting. She does a wonderful job um, storytelling. And even though I like, I knew the ending because I had followed the story in the news, I still was, it was just like edge of your seat reading. She did a, she did a great job. So that was wonderful. Oh my goodness. Thank you for adding that to my, to be read list. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds really good. Um, so I just loved that this book um, just captured so much about middle school. And, um, but before we start talking about the way in which it just rang so true. Could you introduce us to Cyrus, our main character in the book? Of course, yes. Um, Cyrus is the main character of Brave Like That, and the book opens on his 11th birthday. But we've, we know that he, as a baby, he was dropped on the, on the front step of a firehouse in Northfield, Minnesota, and he was adopted by the fire, one of the firefighters inside, Brooks Olson. And Brooks Olson is not just a legend in this town for being a brave firefighter, but he's also a legend um, for being an amazing football player. So he holds records in the, in the middle school and in the high school in town where Cyrus will be attending. And, and everyone just sort of assumes that Cyrus will be the next best wide receiver in the league. And, and no one knows that Cyrus doesn't have any interest in being a wide receiver at all. And he just doesn't feel like he's brave like his dad. Like he's brave, like run into burning buildings, brave or brave, like full tackle football, brave. Um, And so this is a story about um, him figuring out what what is really deep down in him and what kind of brave he he is. That's just so middle school, right? Like (laughs) this is really a story about Cyrus finding who he is apart from his family, apart from his father and also. feeling good about that as opposed to feeling like, ah, what if it's not okay if this is who I am? Exactly. Yeah. I think middle school is a lot of that. It's, it's a lot of looking outward and sort of comparing you to everybody else, but then also 
that that look inward and trying to figure out well where do I fit and and who am I truly yes <laughs> we're going to talk more about that and belonging as well because that's a huge theme in this book that really um uh warmed me and um, made me think a lot. But before we do that, could I wondered if you could um, read from pages 97 and 98 um, as Cyrus is heading to his first day of sixth grade. Sure, of course. So here we have Cyrus entering sixth grade, middle school. Even though I've known almost everyone in my sixth grade class since pre-K, I'm feeling a little sweaty and uncomfortable and heart poundy like I do when I'm under my football pads. My hands are all fumbly too, which isn't good because it's hard enough to understand the schedule without my hands shaking the paper all over the place. I have homeroom in 102 with Mr. Hewitt, who is also my English teacher. Even though I already know where that is, the halls aren't quiet and empty now like they were when I faked a bathroom trip during tryouts and that new clean smell is already gone. Now it's crowded with lots of kids who are all taller than four feet, eight inches and shouting one another's names and you cut your hair and you got your braces off. And instead of smelling like the cleaner we use to scrub the firehouse floor, it smells like the puffs of cologne that salespeople spray when you walk through the department stores in the Mall of America. And I'm wondering if you're supposed to start wearing cologne in middle school and how do you figure something like that out? I see a couple kids from last year and they already seem to know where they're going. No one else is holding a schedule and they're all fist bumping and asking how summer was. I see Marcus and Shane talking with some of the big kids from tryouts, the A team. I wave, but they don't see me. And between us is a crowd of seventh and eighth graders who are comparing arm tans and sipping out of to-go cups from the coffee shop on Division Street. I guess you start drinking coffee in middle school too? Oh my goodness. Uh, that took me back to myself <laughs> in middle school. And the question yeah. I had was like, how am I supposed to know if I'm supposed to start wearing deodorant and do I have to ask for it or will somebody just buy it for me? And <laughs> like that just felt so real to me. And the bodies are all growing at different rates and some kids are little and some kids are big and yeah, you know, I I love I love middle school. I that's what I taught when I was in New York City and and I just there's so much there's so much change and there's um there's just their sense of justice is really high and their emotions are really big and it's just it's so exciting if, um and and you know, a little a little roller coastery sometimes, but there's so much potential and so much excitement in in that age that, you know, it was really when I was teaching middle school in New York City that I realized this is the the audience I wanted to write for. I wanted to write middle grade because their their hearts are just so open and ready and um and there's just so much excitement. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this other piece, right? Like the changing bodies, the changing habits, kids coming, the changing clothes and their care yeah. about how they look. But there's this other piece that you really capture here, which is belonging or lack of belonging. And, and one of the things I, I guess I'm wondering about is you capture this notion of like when the, Cyrus enters this circle of girls actually in an, earlier in the book and um, they immediately help him feel like he belongs. And then in other places, he feels really like he doesn't belong. 
and I'm not sure that middle school kids are always intentional about pushing someone else out. They're all just eager to belong and they're mm-hmm. trying to belong in any way they can. Yeah. Yeah. Is that your sense too? Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, as I was saying before that there's, there's so much outward looking in middle school, you know, the second, from the second you arrive, you're sort of looking and comparing and, oh my gosh, she got so tall over summer and you know, she has the same shoes I do. Is that okay? Is that not cool? Like, um, and there's a lot of that outward looking and, um, and, and then, and then also the, the inward looking of sort of, wait, who, who am I? What do I actually really love to do? Do I, do I love football or do I just love the friends that are on the football team? Do I even like those friends anymore? And just a lot of those inward looking questions thinking too. And, um, and I do play with the idea of, of circles in, in the book. You know, there's, there's um, the circle of the seven girls that, that join him at the Humane Society, the Humane Society Seven. Um, and they do have a very um, insular friendship. There's the seven of them, but they, but they do have a beautiful way of moving that they don't push anyone out or exclude anyone. And I wanted Cyrus to feel the difference between that kind of a circle and the kind of circle he feels um, with the football players in school who, you know, he, he, he feels pulled in by them, but then he feels other people being pushed out by them. And, and I wanted him to be able to, to compare those two kinds of um, circles and, and, you know, sort of how we in, include or exclude people and how that feels. And, and that happens so much in middle school, um, intentionally or not, it really does. So I, I was playing with the idea of circles there. It's interesting, though, because it's happening at at middle school. It's happening um, amongst the different groups that Cyrus is and isn't a part of. But it's also happening in his out of school life at the at the firehouse. Yes. And um, so Cyrus is seeing it happening with his peers. And then he's also seeing it happen with his firehouse family, which is Mm -hmm. his father and the other firefighters, when a new firefighter, Sam, joins the, the squad. I, I love Sam so much. Yes. I wondered if you could talk a little bit. Does it give anything away if we talk about Sam? Um, no, you know, I don't think so. I think we could talk a little bit about Sam. Yeah, you know, I wanted, so Cyrus is, um, he grows up in the firehouse. So he has his dad and he's got the firefighters um, who have been a part of his life from the time, literally, that he was dropped on their, on their doorstep. Um, and he, and he begins to notice um, the way that they move and the way that they talk when a new firefighter shows up and they're expecting it to be another male firefighter. And it's not, it's Sam, Samantha, the firefighter who shows up and, and all the guys kind of react in their own ways. And, and Cyrus is very much aware of how each one reacts. And um, in, in particular, one named Leo. And, um, and so he, he has that experience and he's watching as, as the men sort of um, fumble through that experience and also with the football team um, and, and, and um, a new boy that shows up in his school named Eduardo and how the, the kids on his football team, the kids in his class, the kids who he, he who had been friends, his friends forever are responding to that too. Um, and so he has these two experiences side by side and, and he does realize that, you know, if that, that, you know, boys like Marcus and Shane, who are othering and a, a sort of subtly bullying Eduardo, um, can can grow up and become, you know, men like Leo. And he's watching that happen. Um, and so I think there's a powerful connection there between the boys and the men in the book. I um, definitely thought the words more than once while I was reading Oh, toxic masculinity. Yep. <laughs> this is showing the growth of toxic masculinity, um, both yeah. in the way that the young 
men um, treat Eduardo um, and also Cyrus when he doesn't behave the way they expect or want him to be. And then also Leo and his weightlifting and, and mm -hmm. his um, uh, sexist comments to Sam and his, yeah. um, and so I, I definitely thought that would be a really interesting thing to talk about. Um, yeah. You know, cause there's, there's this idea of, um, you know, Cyrus doesn't feel like he's run into a burning building brave. And there's this idea of fires um, and how quickly they spread and how, and how he knows that from, from the way that he grew up in the firehouse. Um, yeah. but that's also taken into the school and, um, and this idea that he knows how fast fires can spread and he starts to see the bullying like a fire. And he knows that, um, you know, he's, he's got to be somebody who puts out this fire before it spreads. And, and that is extremely hard. It is really, really hard. I think it's one of the hardest things when, you know, friends that you have known your whole life are starting to act in ways that feel really uncool and really icky. And he doesn't, you know, it is, it is hard to be the person to say, that's not cool. Like that needs to stop. And I think in the book, Cyrus figures out a really, a really great way of, of um, including his whole class in this in conversation about sort of celebrating differences. I think he finds a good way, um, a simple, very Cyrus way of, of addressing that, but he doesn't, he doesn't want this fire to spread in his class. Um, he doesn't, and he wants to, he's, you know, he's not firefighter brave, but really he does, he does figure out how to put out some fires, which, which is really great by the end. He figures out how to be an upstander in a way that's true to yeah. himself. And I, I love that that was um, part of his inspiration is, you know, his father and the firefighters and specifically Sam and how Sam becomes an upstander in her way. Yes. Yeah. She is, she is a, a definitely a strong character. And I wanted there to be, you know, because so much of the book is about um, what kind of brave you are. I wanted there to be a, a couple different examples of courage. And Sam was really one of, one of the characters I was thinking of and, and Brooks, his dad really is as a supportive, um, strong guy too. Um, and his, and as we know, his grandmother, you know, so there are a few really supportive, um, and also like examples of, of bravery and, and Eduardo himself, you know, he's, you know, as he's, he's a, a really great example of courage and, and, um, and how he stands up on his own. Oh, I want to talk about all these characters, but let's <laughs> talk about Eduardo. And so I'm thinking about Eduardo speaks Spanish. Um, he, uh, he is very small, <laughs> like hide yeah. under the water fountain small. Um, <laughs> and um, one of the things I really, admired about Cyrus and how he becomes friends with Eduardo is the small moves he makes for inclusivity. So it's, he sits next to Eduardo. Uh, he starts, he shares a locker with Eduardo, mm -hmm. but he also starts to realize like, oh, Eduardo speaks Spanish and this other person hadn't thought about it, but she speaks Spanish and maybe I could learn some Spanish from her. And mm -hmm. there are these little moves he makes to sort of, um, signal that he wants to make an inclusive space for Eduardo. Absolutely. And you also see through, through those moves that you mentioned, um, how it's not, it's not exactly easy for him to sit next to Eduardo in the beginning. You know, he still has his eyes on how are Marcus and Shane going to react if I sit next to Eduardo or, you know, Marcus and Shane try to pull um, Cyrus into their locker buddyship, you know, like, oh, the three of us can share. So you don't have to share with Eduardo. And 
And it puts Cyrus in this weird position and it takes him a little while to say, no, no, it's okay. I'll share the locker with Eduardo. Um, and so, you know, I think there are these little moments that, that are really hard and, and seemingly small, but they make such big differences um, and steps toward inclusive um, behavior. You know, like, I think it's just, it's, it's, it's hard and it's important. And, you know, you can tell that Cyrus really does think Eduardo's kind of cool and wants to be friends with him, but it's, it is it, these little tiny steps are, are hard and he has his eyes on the bullies the whole time. Yeah. He's worried that associating with uh, Eduardo will mean he gets bullied as well, Yeah, that he won't feel a sense of belonging as well. Yeah. I really appreciated that um, inward struggle he goes through and how clearly you paint that on the page. Oh, thank you. Um, the other character I want to make sure we talk about is Cyrus's grandmother. Brooks's mother and Cyrus's really lovely relationship with his grandmother. Could you tell us a little bit about her? Yeah, I, I love writing grandparent characters. They're, they're one of my favorite secondary characters to write. And in in actually three of my four books, there are characters, the the grandparents are very like central characters of the book. Um, But for, for Cyrus, I wanted to give him someone. So for Cyrus, he's a kid that has a lot of secrets in his heart. He, um, he holds a secret that he struggles with reading and he hasn't told his dad that he hasn't figured out how to tell his teachers that Um, he holds that secret of, you know, I don't really love football, but I'm not quite sure how to say that yet. I'm not quite sure how to move on from that. Um, And and I wanted to give him a character, a grown up who, who could see right into his heart and was very ready to support him when he was ready to make those big statements and then to come out and say, this is actually who I am. And she, she you, you know, in the book that she's right there waiting for him to, to be his strong self. And, and they do have an interesting way of communicating because um, she has had a stroke. And so her, the right side of her body is paralyzed and she's lost the inability to speak, um, the, lost the ability to speak. Um, and so she, she speaks in, in syllables, na, 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 na. And, and it's, it's a way of, of communicating that is like, it's directly heart to heart is how, how the feeling, you know? And, and I know that very well, cause my, my own Nana growing up, my mom's mom had a stroke and it paralyzed the right side of her body and took away her ability to speak. And she, she was just an example of courage to me as her granddaughter growing up, just watching her never, ever give up. She never stopped trying to let us know exactly what it was that she was saying. And even when I didn't know what the words were, like I knew what she wanted me to feel. And, mm-hmm. and I wanted to give Cyrus someone like that, someone who could, you know, na, 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 a feeling right into his heart. And, um, and so that's who she is for him. And she's, she's also an example of courage. She's just a really brave woman who has to overcome a big thing. And, um, and she learns how to be even more courageous by the end of the book. So it's, it's watching her, um, her relationship with, with Cyrus is, is growth for both of them. And I just, I love their relationship too. Oh, it's so beautiful. And um, it makes sense to me that you had a grandparent like that in your life. Cause that, that relationship feels so tangible as I was reading right. it. And, um, um, and they I'm both, thinking- you know, they both have something that in common that's in their hearts. And I, you know, I don't want to give it away. Like what, what Cyrus's real true passion is, but, um, 
but he's a lot like his grandmother. And he's always worried about like, what's being passed down to me because, you know, I was adopted and I don't know, you know, what's supposed to be coming through my blood and what's supposed to be coming through my dad. And, um, and he, he has this connection with his, with his grandmother through, um, through music. And, and, um, and there's, and there's something that's bigger there that his grandmother really sees in him and, and he feels like he got from her. And so that's a really special connection too. Yes. She is fierce in her love and also in her generosity with him yeah. as she is slowly handing her record collection over to yeah, him. I, yeah. know. <laughs> I, I just, uh, yes. Um, so there's another character, another adult character in this book who, uh, who um, we should talk about. And that's <laughs> Mr. Hewitt, the sixth grade language arts teacher. And um, I, I believe that, um, reading young adult and middle grades fiction uh, that involves teachers and schools helps us learn a lot as educators, right? Like, I think we can see ourselves on the page in ways that can help us grow. So let's talk a little bit about um, Mr. Hewitt and his love of picture <laughs> books um, and how he shares them every day. I wonder if we might even read a little section from page 108. Sure. <clears throat> Let's see. It's on the bottom of 108 and then into one. I'm sorry, on the bottom of 109. Okay. Yeah, I see this. Mr. Hewitt pulls out a picture book and we all start to giggle. What? He says. Can a grown guy love a picture book? Then he leans right in and whispers, I'm going to tell you a secret. I love picture books more than I love ice cream. He's smiling a big smile that makes his eyes crinkle and I can tell it's the truth. It's not a fake. He rubs the cover of the book and says, you all think you're too big for picture books, but let me tell you something, you're not. No one is. I just love that every day in this classroom, he shares a picture book in one way or another. <laughs> Often it's him reading the picture book aloud, but he finds other ways to share picture books. I love that you name actual picture books that are yeah. wonderful. <laughs> and, um, I, I also love that um, there's this sixth grade quality that <laughs> I'm a former school librarian. So uh -huh. I've read many picture books to sixth graders <laughs> and I completely felt this thing that you write about, which is that the kids all pretend that they're not <laughs> interested, that, ugh, they yep. roll their eyes and they're like, it's so silly that he's reading a picture book and their whole bodies are leaning in <laughs> and hanging on every word. Yes. So I, I just, what was your inspiration? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I love picture books and I used them um, as a teacher for sixth, seventh and eighth graders. Um, and I obviously read them all the time now with my three and four year old and, and the picture books that are being published now are just, they are beautiful and, and fresh and exciting. And, and so I just, I, I love them. I really just love picture books. Um, I also was really inspired by um, Jillian Heisey, who's an educator and a librarian. And she started this idea that happened, it's a real thing um, that called hashtag classroom book a day. And it's, it's the idea that you as a, as a teacher or an educator, you read one picture book every day to your class. And so you know, on average, you have 180 stories that are now a part of your classroom community. And, um, and just the, 
the opportunity for diversity, you know, for new voices and different experiences and authors that come from different backgrounds and characters that come from different backgrounds. And, you know, if you have 180 of these stories in your class by the end of the year, um, you're not only learning about all those different experiences and hearing from their voices, but you're also um, creating culture and community in your classroom around them. And so that when there are things that come up like, like bullying, like in Cyrus's class or othering, like things like that, you can talk about the characters in the picture book because that's it's easier to talk about characters than it is to talk about your own self or your friends or your class. And so I just, I, I think it's really powerful to have stories, lots of stories, a wide variety of stories that live in your classroom in that way. So I wanted to give um, Cyrus that opportunity to sort of see some of the issues that are happening in his class in, in the stories um, and some of the things that are happening for himself, you know, with the, with the picture book read when he's like, oh yeah, I think I might be mislabeled too. Um, so he can kind of talk about himself or think about himself or the things that are happening in his class, but through, through the stories and through the characters of other books. Um, so I, I, just, I just love picture books for that. I think they're really powerful, um, used in, in all grades. I think they're powerful. Um, and so I wanted to give him that. I, I also wanted to give him a really um, positive experience with reading, you know, because he struggles so much with his own reading comprehension that I wanted him to love it. I wanted him to have an, an experience of loving reading and loving books. And um, he, gets, he gets to really love some of these stories and that helps him through his challenges of, of reading independently. Um, and, and, and it gives Eduardo a chance to be a sort of hero too, because Eduardo is the first one that says, well, I love this picture book and this is awesome. And, and it gives Cyrus a little bit more chance to say, yeah, me too, you know, yeah. so I, I think, there's a lot for the picture books. Eduardo really shows his bravery by writing his book report on the book I love most about one of the picture books. Yes. One of the one, that, one that speaks very much to him. Yeah. And, and to Cyrus. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I love that um, the way you talked about picture books is like third things as ways to, to um, as safe ways to talk about concepts, about concepts Absolutely. of identity or um, who, who am I? How, how am I showing up? How is it okay to be like me? Because mm -hmm. one of the books is um, Oliver Button is a sissy. Is that the name? Yes. Yeah. Did I get that right? Yeah. And, um, and so it just gives this opportunity for the whole class to explore this notion of the different ways we can show up authentically as ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. The picture book I want them to read, the picture book I'm currently in love with is um, We Are Water Protectors. Have you seen that one yet? I have seen it. I have not read it yet, but I have heard the most amazing things about it. Yeah. I'm swooning. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit about Cyrus and reading because he, he actually, I get the impression about Cyrus from the beginning that he actually really loves stories and books, um, but that he's ashamed because of his own difficulty with reading. Let's talk, yeah. let's just first describe what his difficulty is. Yeah. So, um, so Cyrus has, he's, he's an excellent reader. Like he can read the words really well. He's a fluent reader um, and he feels comfortable doing that. It's the, um, the comprehension piece of, you know, after I finished reading that page aloud, what did I just read? And he can't, he can't quite string all the different parts together and remember them and, and, and do a retell. Like he's, he has a hard time 
um, with his comprehension, but his fluency is really great. And this is what gives him the ability to kind of fake his way through. He's come up with a bunch of really, he's, he's a very smart guy. And so he's come up with a, a bunch of ways to, to fake his way all the way through the sixth grade without really, really reading a, a whole book by himself. Um, so he knows you know, when to raise his hand and volunteer to read out loud, because then maybe he won't be asked a question. Um, and, you know, right when they're going to do partner work and he has to, you know, talk about something that they just read in class, he, he knows that's when he goes to the bathroom. And so he's, he's gotten good at, at faking his way through. Um, but he does, you know, he does feel shame about it. He hasn't been able to tell his dad or to tell, you know, his teachers, and he's not quite sure when he's just going to figure out the reading piece. Um, and, and that's part of the courage he needs to find is the, the courage to say, I need the help that I deserve. I just don't, I, I haven't figured this piece out yet. And, and this is hard. This is hard for me. Um, and that's, that's part of the courage he needs to sort of uncover in the book. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I'm a school librarian by training, um, but I'm not that familiar with um, reading disorders, right? And so you're right, he's an excellent decoder. Um, mm -hmm. My husband is also an educator, and he's done this hugely deep dive into the um, the neuroscience of reading um, oh, cool. for the last uh, two years. He, he's been really focused on that. And so while I was reading this, I stopped and I, I said, honey, um, is it, is it, is there a reading disorder where you read fluently, but, but you can't, you don't comprehend anything. And he was like, yeah, like, he answered me like, of course. And, um, yeah. I was like, uh, okay. Is there, do like, is there ways to treat that? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> I guess I wondered, had you had a student like that? It's clear you understood this reading disorder. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely had students that, that struggled in that way that were really fluent readers and loved to read out loud. Um, but, but when you did, you know, sit one-on-one -on -one with them and ask them questions about what they just read, you could kind of see them going, trying, trying to go back to the text or finding something to read back out loud to me. Um, and so it's definitely, it does have a name, I think, and I, and I'm, I'm not sure what it is right now, but, um, but I, but I did have several students that struggled with it in that way. Um, and then, you know, there's always the opposite too, where, you know, students, they're not fluent readers and it, you know, it sounds all choppy when they come out and then, and then they tell you this perfect retail of everything that they just read and what they think about it. And, and so the, the brain is just, it's incredible. It's a really incredible thing. And, um, and, and yeah, so I have noticed that. And I did, I did think it was a perfect, it fit perfectly for Cyrus because he's, he, he has faked his way through so much that this is, that this seemed like a perfect thing for him to struggle with because it's something that he can kind of tuck away and fake. He is very clever in all of his yeah. Like he knows a book report's coming. He knows how to get about it. He, mm -hmm. he thinks ahead of time that if the language arts teacher asks him, what do you, what did you read this summer? He's going to go, oh, I'm in the middle of the fourth Harry Potter. <laughs> like, give it away. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he's got all these like strategies. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I admired him for that. Right. I, yeah. Um, even though what it meant was that he wasn't getting the help he needed because he was so good at passing. Yeah. And in the same way for, for football too, you know, he, he's, he's in tryouts. He doesn't want to be in tryouts. He's expected to make the A team because his last name is Olson and he, he doesn't want to make the A team. He doesn't even want to make the B team. And he's, he's out there, you know, fumbling passes and, you know, doing things that he's like, oh, shoot, you know, like I butterfingers this time, you know, and he, and he's just, he's, 
it's just such a struggle to to see him on the field because you know he doesn't want to be there and he's trying to figure out a way to to you know what he thinks will make his dad happy and um and what will make him happy and he's he's just he's perfected the fake and and I think that you know one of the things that brave like that the whole book is about is sort of becoming your most authentic true self and just and giving up the fakes you know and um and and that's also just what middle school is about it's it's a it's a big time for that for figuring out you know where am I most comfortable and what do I love to do and and what you know what fakes can I just give up right now yeah and and I just I just love this notion that like this big theme of showing up as your authentic self and trusting that people will will love you for your authentic self. Yeah. So I want to keep talking about this book forever because and I'm so grateful to talk about it because I um, have been buzzing ever since I finished it this weekend oh. thinking about it. But how would you su- suggest that teachers use this book in the classroom? Do you have any hopes for how it might be used? Yeah, you, you know, I, I've actually spoken to teachers who are and some teachers that are doing some really wonderful things. Um, I think one of the things that, that I think it would be great for is using as a read aloud in the beginning of the school year to kind of set the tone for community and, um, and how we can work together to, and, and use this certain language that Cyrus, towards the end of the book, Cyrus comes up with this language that we can use to kind of combat bullying and, and celebrate it. Um, so celebrate difference. I mean, not celebrate bullying. <laughs> to celebrate yeah. difference. To celebrate difference. Um, you know, to move from from that sort of tolerance of like he's different and that's okay. To um, we all have something that makes us different, and that's what's special. That's so cool. Like that's that's something that we can talk about and be you know, and we can celebrate. Um, and so I think you know, if, if classes were to read this at the beginning of the school year, they might have a common language that they could use when they see some of the bullying that, that comes up in classrooms. They might remember back to, to Cyrus's classroom and, um, and some of the things that Cyrus said. And, um, and so it might, use, it might be a good use for like community building at the beginning of the year. Um, I also really, what, what's something that I do when I uh, do classroom visits or virtual visits now, but um, is um, I, you know, I put up, I am brave like, and then I have students figure out for themselves what kind of brave they are. Because Cyrus constantly throughout the book is saying the kinds of brave that he isn't, and then the kinds of brave that he finds out that he is. You know, I'm not run into a burning building brave, or, you know, so I have students write, I am brave like, and then finish that sentence. And some of the things that they came up with are just amazing. Like, I am brave like live through a pandemic brave. I am brave like take care of my little sister after school brave. You know, these, these, statements that are stories all in their, all in their own, you know, they're, they're really wonderful. And so I think that, that like having, having some of those present in the classroom, just sentence strips of the different ways that we are brave, even if they seem small are, are really quite big, um, sort of celebrate that in, in our classrooms. I, I love, and that's what came to me is um, redefining what bravery is redefining what it means to be brave and um, thinking beyond the sort of stereotype and create circles together. How do we want to create circles of belonging? Um, That I'm really inspired by both of those ways of using this book. Um, I felt like I had another question there, but it fell right out of my brain because your answer was so good. 
I want to thank you so much for, oh, I know what it was. Yeah. Sorry, Audrey. You can edit that part out, Audrey. We forgot to mention one of the really important characters in this book, Parker. Oh, yeah. we don't have to say a lot, but people need to know this is a dog book. Yeah, it's true. That's so funny that we haven't even mentioned him because he's he's usually like the first thing that students talk about when I go and talk to their classes. Um, yeah, so so um, on that first page, um, they're having Cyrus's eleventh birthday, and and a dog, a, sh- a stray dog, shows up on the on the firehouse step right where Cyrus was left eleven years ago as a baby, and so he immediately forms this bond with this dog, and and he wants to keep it. But his dad has this like strict no no pets no way policy, and um, and they quickly take it to the um, to the animal hospital, and he's put into a humane society. And and his dad says, you know, don't don't visit it. We're not visiting this dog. We're not naming this dog because it's not our dog. You, you know, we don't want you can't get close to it because it's not ours. And Cyrus, he just can't. He just can't. He has to. He loves this dog. He feels a really strong connection. Um, the dog was, the, you know, he was the only one that the dog would approach at the firehouse. And so he feels like he feels in some ways that he abandoned Parker and he just wants to go back. And um, he names Parker the dog Parker because he parks his, his nose right on um, Cyrus's left shoulder. And so the book is also about him trying to figure out, you know, that's one of the secrets in his heart. Like, how do I am? I am actually sneaking to the Humane Society and visiting this dog for like dog walking hours. And. Um, and how do I tell my dad that actually this is something I really, really want? I really want this responsibility. I really want this love in my life. And, um, and so there is a big dog part of this story too. I love that because it feels like the op- it's a fake, but it's the opposite of a fake, right? So, yeah. so often Cyrus is faking things so he can get out of things he doesn't want. But mm-hmm. then there's this big switch when he's faking in order to get into something that he yes. does want, when he's exactly. finding his truer self. Oh, so <laughs> gives me chills. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> Lindsay, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful book. Um, and thank you so much for joining us to talk about it. Well, thank you so much. It was so great. <laughs> And this has been an episode of Vermont Ed Reads, talking about what Vermont's educators and students are reading. Thank you to Lindsay Stoddard for appearing on the show and talking with me about Brave Like That. If you're looking for a copy of Brave Like That, check with your local library. Many, many thanks to Audrey Holman for all of her behind-the-scenes work on this podcast. To find out more about Vermont Ed Reads, including past episodes, upcoming guests and reads, and a whole lot more, you can visit vtedreads.tarrantinstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at vtedreads. This podcast is a project of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont.